Hello and welcome to the MarTech Alliance Marketing Technology Book Club. I'm your host, Carlos Dalsi. I'm the founder of the MarTech Alliance. You can find out a little bit more about us at themartechalliance.com. Today I'm chatting with Robert Rose about his and Joe Paluzzi's fantastic book, Killing Marketing. Hi, Robert. Hey, how are you? Great to be here. Really, really great to have you with us. So for more than 25 years, Robert has helped marketers tell their story effectively through digital media. Over the last five, he has worked with more than 500 companies including 15 of the Fortune 100, such as Capital One, NASA, Dell, Hewlett-Packard, Microsoft, and many more. Robert is the founder and chief strategy officer for the content advisory, the education and consulting group for the Content Marketing Institute. Robert, with, with so much going on, tell us what a typical day looks like for you. A typical day? Yeah, if there well, is such a thing. There, yeah, there's, there's not. It usually involves an airplane. Um, and, uh, these days it, so once I get to the place where I'm going, the, the typical day for me is to, well, I'm either working with clients directly on helping them operationalize some form of content marketing. So stand up the people, the process, the technology of content marketing more broadly in an organization. So how are they creating a strategy for it? How are they actually creating all the activities they're going to do. What is the, basically, what is the, what is the roadmap for them looking forward to make content work more uh, effectively in the business? Or I'm off to uh, teach a workshop on the same thing, right? So it's either consulting directly with clients or, or teaching a workshop on the same. Keeps you busy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, well, look, it's, it's, it's keeping the rent paid. It keeps me <laughs> fat and happy. Um, it's, a, it's a good wave to be riding right now. And, uh, and yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's, you know, as I like to say, I have the second best job in the world because the first best job is, of course, getting to tell the stories for your brand and for yourself. And the second best job, which is my job, is I get to help people do that. Right. So before we jump into the book, we're producing kind of a really simple 101. So for either non-marketers or people really, really early in their career, would you mind just giving us a really simple definition of what content marketing as a definition is for you? Sure. So I'll start with the definition that we use at Content Marketing Institute, but it's going to sound a little dictionary-y um, if that's the technical term for it. Very and it basically is the creation, curation, and distribution of owned media, our content that is used to change the behavior of an audience that we're trying to target as a business. Now, that's way too much of a mouthy set of buzzwords and stuff like that. So Ultimately, it's about creating owned media experiences. So blogs, websites, you know, print magazines, resource centers, movies, whatever it is, our owned media experiences that are meant to engage, entertain, inspire, educate, or provide usefulness to customers outside our product or uh, service that we're offering into the marketplace. So deliver value in content in its own right. Content delivers value in its own right for the purposes of helping to uh, basically get customers into subscribers, into audiences, transform, you know, customers and, and prospective customers into addressable audiences. Thank you. Okay. So let's jump into the book. Now, sure. if we put 60 seconds on the clock and you had to summarize the book and describe exactly <laughs> why every single marketer needs to be picking up a copy of this right now. It's, we started with a question, which is really, it's a question that starts with a quote that 
came from Mark Twain, and he never said it, of course, um, which is it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so that gets you into trouble. And so we started with a quote of the book to start the book to say, what if everything we know about marketing is just isn't true? And we start from there to say, let's look at companies that are out there building audiences that are transforming marketing from a cost center in the business to actually something that adds bottom line value. And the example, you know, just in, you know, just to draw the, 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 the perfect example is the Content Marketing Institute, right? Up until the time of acquisition, we had spent a sum total of $35 on paid media. Everything we did from a marketing perspective was meant to pay for itself in some way. And so can we look at marketing a little differently to monetize audiences in different ways to provide for a profitable center in the business instead of a, a, an addition to the cost line? Perfect. I don't know if I made it under a minute, but that's basically the, that's the entire premise of the book. So you're about four seconds over, but we'll have that. It's great. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So there is some. That's, an, that's an accomplishment for me, by the way. Being four <laughs> seconds over of a one-minute pitch, I'm usually much more uh, verbose than that. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all, but for enterprises that are really looking to drive their content marketing strategy, what's your view on buying versus building? Should should a very large brand, which is really looking to aggressively push their their, their content marketing strategy, look to buy up? individual existing audiences or build from scratch? It, it's a fantastic question and I'm really glad you asked it. Um, and, and, it's, and it's one that we're seeing a lot more these days. The, 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 the simple answer is that it's not really about size. Um, you know, we, Content Marketing Institute, when we're, we were still a very small company, we were, you know, eight, nine people at that point, uh, and we decided that it would be better to acquire a new event um, and all of the content around that blog and that company because it would help us scale into an audience that we were looking to scale into. So it's not just for big companies to make a buy type of decision. On the other hand, the build decision can often be the optimal one because you're trying to do something that either hasn't been done before or isn't being done terribly well in your industry. And so whether you're a large company and you're looking to get into content marketing or whether you're a small company and you're looking to get into content marketing, buying or building is one of the first questions. And it really comes down to your patience and the competition in your, uh, in your particular marketplace of ideas and how quickly you want to become one of the forefront you know, members in that marketplace of ideas. If you don't have a lot of time and you don't feel like building something organically or it's highly competitive, acquisition can make a lot of sense. But if you have the time, if you have the money, if you're looking at doing this as a very small piece of a broader integrated marketing strategy, building something can make sense. You know, the buying thing really is about how do I, not only how do I acquire an audience that immediately gives me splashy buzz and all of that, but it's also these days about the talent. Right, so going out and acquiring something that may not be actually perfect for your business, but contains super talented people that would otherwise be really hard to acquire otherwise. So it's, there's, it's, it's a great, great first question to start to ask in terms of once you've decided that content marketing is gonna make sense in some form for your business, now let's talk about the quickest, easiest, and optimal way to get there. And just on that point of talent, and also 
the emergence, well, I say emergence really, it's, it's the growing influence of personal brands and influencer marketing. Do you think we're going to see more organizations moving away from just actually using individuals to create content and outreach it and rather actually looking to acquire personal brands? I, absolutely, yes. I, I was just having this conversation yesterday with a company in the automotive space. Um, and what they were looking at is they were, they're a media company and for, you know, a decade, they have been the quote unquote, you know, source of all things thought leadership in their particular industry uh, in what they provide. And what they've noticed over the last 10 years is that personal brands, bloggers, speakers, educators, consultants have really organically grown up and through the ability to blog and create FaceTime video and create all these wonderful personal brands have really disrupted their marketplace and position as the thought leader in the industry. Because quite frankly, the content that they're producing isn't that unique anymore. And so they have started to look at a strategy of saying, we need to be, you know, we need to be the thought leader brand in this space. Thus, we need to make a concerted effort to start acquiring some of this talent um, to really keep, you know, keep the luster and the shine on the brand that we have spent so many years creating if we're going to stay differentiated in the market. Because the one thing they have that those individual personal brands don't have is the muscle of distribution and the muscle and the, and the size of the audience. So they can leverage that a bit and start to acquire personal brands to bring them in. It's, a, it's an absolutely evolving uh, topic in, uh, in different industries. And how do you think that's going to play out? I mean, obviously, there was the um, CNN and, and Casey Nasa, um partnership, which looks to not have quite worked out. Do you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to put it nicely, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I was putting it very diplomatically. Um, yeah. do, do you think it's going to work out? Do you think you're going to find that it's a nice idea and possibly influencers and individuals are attracted? You know, it's fantastic to have that cash, but actually that move away from ultimately having that independence and complete control over everything you do into now working within an organization is going to be a real culture, culture struggle. Yeah. It's, it's going to be all over the map. I mean, there will be companies um, that make those acquisitions and I'm not entirely sure that CNN and uh, the acquisition of Casey Neistat wasn't this kind of situation. I'm not sure that it was. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, uh, but I'm not sure that it wasn't either where, the brand will acquire that, that personal brand or that individual um, blogger, quite frankly, just to pull them out of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Just to say, you know what, we can make you disappear. Um, and that may or may not have successful uh, strategies around it. There may be executional problems, which may have also been the story behind Casey Neistat and CNN, you know, cultural differences and the way that they work and they just could never make it work. My personal opinion, which is the biggest challenge about um, what I've seen with the acquisition of personal brands and, and what I believe happened with, uh, with uh, CNN and, and Casey was he just works differently on, in an online medium than he does on television. And I think it's just a different kind of audience. It's a different kind of experience and it's a different kind of, um, you know, so many of these YouTube stars you see try and make a transition from where they're doing very well with a very niche focused audience through YouTube or through online, through the web, through a podcast, et cetera. And they just can't make the translation into television or film or, you know, other, other mediums, 
which has been the case forever. I mean, I've been in the entertainment business for more than 30 years and, and you see, you know, film stars can't make it on TV. TV stars can't make it in film. The same is going to hold true here as well. Then you move to the other side of the spectrum. And I think there are going to be plenty of success stories as well. What it comes down to is motivation behind the strategy and execution. Can, you know, can, can the company execute? So I think you'll see it. You'll see disasters, you'll see successes, um, and you'll see everything in between. Great. Now, you talked a lot about everything that was achieved at CMI in the book, um, and it's, it's unprecedented, the level of growth and impact that was, that was possible. If you had to just hone in on one or two key things that you think were the differentiator in terms of what was happening at the Content Marketing Institute versus other media organizations that were moving at the same time, what do you think that was? I think overall the, the key was focus. It would have been really easy for us to broaden our sphere and to say we're going to go after social media or we're going to go after digital marketing or we're going to go after, you know, some other part of the marketing stack mm-hmm. um, and, and really start to broaden out the idea of what we, you know, what we stood for and what we, you know, what we were writing about and what, you know, and, it, and, and the temptation was there for sure. Every single day we could see <clears throat> there's a new event we could acquire. There's a new um, set of bloggers that are trying to get in and try to change. And that really concentrated focus on our editorial mission and the content that we were trying to provide, the value we were trying to provide. In other words, we were an inch wide and a mile and a half deep. And that gave us a, you know, a differentiated little jewel. Now, you can argue, and I think successfully argue, that that limited the size of the company. It limited the size of how big the company would actually be. But I think in terms of, you know, being able to focus on depth instead of breadth, it helped us grow to the point that we could grow, the ceiling by which we could grow much faster. Mm-hmm. And so that was always the goal was how, you know, how quickly can we get this to a big viable thing, building that on that niche and that focus of the editorial and the value to the audience. And then once we got to, you know, a reasonable size, then look at launching expansive brands or adjacent brands and, and those kinds of things. And. Um, can we push you for an outlandish prediction? Um, you've in the past, for example, talked about Apple acquiring Disney someday. Um, come on. Well, remember, that's Joe's prediction, not mine. That's never going to happen. That's, that's, that's absolutely Joe's prediction. It is not going to happen. <laughs> what, what, what predictions, if you had to make some, do you think will happen in the next 12 to 24 months? Oh, let's see here. Well, the prediction, I think, you know, if, if you're l- really looking for outlandish. It's got to be outlandish. Okay. I think one of the major media companies will be acquired, a major media company will be acquired by one of the large either agency holding companies and or consulting companies. So I could see, for example, um, Accenture or uh, WPP or one of the very large companies that are really focused in on digital marketing, making a very large media brand acquisition, something like maybe, you know, Havas buys, um, you know, the, um, let's see, what media company would be good for them um, around the right size, some television network or publishing group, maybe a Condé Nast, that would be an interesting thing where, uh, Condé Nast gets bought by by one of the major you know advertising agencies or or consulting groups something like that. 
Great. It'd be interesting. I, I think I think it's in I think that's a space where the agency world hasn't quite there haven't been the examples. Like there was a fantastic example you're giving around, for example, um, uh, Dennis, for example, and flipping that model around and going, actually, do you know what? We have an audience. Why don't we actually give them the product they need? And that's right. Buy a car. And I think actually the the agency side of things and the consultancy business hasn't quite done that yet. But it's yeah, it's an obvious move. Yeah, I mean, you've seen you're you're seeing the media companies grow into that space, right? <clears throat> you know, you see. T Brand Studios, um, which is of course the New York Times, um, they're you know they're growing so quickly, and they're a meaningful part of the New York Times business revenue right now. And they're you know they're not just growing in terms of the way that they're creating content for clients across native and 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 other and other mechanisms, but they're getting into strategy, they're getting into media buying, they're getting into all kinds of of traditionally agency oriented services. And that's only going to expand as you start seeing more and more of these quote unquote traditional media companies get more and more into the trusted advisor role for brands because they have the audience. They have the audience and can offer that stuff out. And I think it's only a matter of time before some of the agencies and or consulting firms that are getting into this business start to recognize that fact and to say, hey, listen, we need to be in the media business if only to understand the audiences we are trying to deliver for our clients. In other words, you know, in the same way that Johnson & Johnson as a pharmaceutical company owns babycenter.com to get the insight out of 40 million moms and dads across the world and have direct access to that data to, in order to inform their marketing strategy, I think you have to see agencies and consultancies getting into that business, making acquisitions in the space to say, if, if the, if the, even if the only reason is to give us the access to an audience that we can get data and insight from so that we can run better advertising for our clients, they have to get into that. They have to get into that business. And um, right now, are there any books, podcasts, any series that you simply can't get enough of? Well, oh my gosh. Um, uh, so the, uh, I am, I am current. So, <laughs> As you know, um, in terms of, you know, because you know me a little bit, I tend to be a student of history. Um, and so the guy that I'm working my way through, oeuvre, if you will, of, of books is a guy by the name of Roger Martin. Um, and he is a professor in, uh, in a business school up in Toronto and just an amazing thinker. And so I discovered his, his book, which is The New MBA, which is came out in the 1990s and just talks through all the new skills and creative and, and the ability to bring wisdom to the table of the new. And I just think it's a book that was written, you know, 20 years ago almost now and is uh, just so relevant today. And then I'm working my way through all of his other books, which are just fantastic. On the more current side, you know, stuff that I'm listening to and, and watching, et cetera. You know, I'm a huge fan of Jay Bear. I think all the things that he's doing, you know, in the thinking and the other guy just from a tips and tricks and sort of day-to-day -day tactical stuff is Andy Crestedina. Andy Crestedina and what they're doing at Orbit Media Studios is just, you know, if you want to listen to anybody who talks about SEO and how to, you know, create, you know, sites and pages that actually work, he's the guy. Thank you. And um, you mentioned earlier about buzzwords. Um, there's possibly one too many at times. We're going to exclude MarTech. You cannot say you hate MarTech, but is there, is there a buzzword right now that's floating around a little bit too much for you? Um, yeah, programmatic. Programmatic and algorithmic and data-driven. AI, you've got AI. 
Yeah. And well, you know, here's the thing with AI. AI, anybody who starts to talk about implementing AI into their, into their strategy, talking about AI, then it's probably too early for you. And so trying to figure what AI and machine learning is really going to do for the marketer is years away. Let's, you know, let's sort out our websites first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's, let's, let's sort out uh, marketing automation and other, you know, before we start getting bad at technology that we haven't used yet, why don't we get good at the technology that we currently suck at? So we, we had um, Travis Wright at our MarTech Festival last year, and he was talking at the predictions for 2018. And his first point was, let's stop fucking around with 2018 and sort out 2012 first. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes, I agree. Um, a final one for you. What's next for you? What projects are in the making? Well, I'm in the business of, as we, as we talked about, you were kind enough about at the top of the show, you know, I'm in the business of running around the planet and helping marketing organizations, you know, sort out their operations for, for content in the enterprise, both on the workshop side, as well as the consulting side. And so what's next for me is scaling this business, right? So I'm in the process, you know, I'm still serving as the chief strategy advisor for Content Marketing Institute. Um, I'll be, you know, at Content Marketing World and I'm hosting webinars and I write every week for them and I'm still, you know, intimately involved with that organization. But really my focus for the next, you know, 12 to 18 months is really going to be on growing my consulting practice and really growing the idea of the workshops and becoming truly an education company of helping enterprises figure out how to do content right. And have you chatted much with John? Any, any oh, yes, I do. He is, you know, he is a man of leisure these days. And so he is um, working on his nonprofit foundation, which is the Orange Foundation, a fantastic nonprofit for any of you who are engaged with people with kids with autism. It's an amazing nonprofit. So he's working on that. He's also taking his sabbatical, which is really, you know, just him going off grid. But yes, he and I, through text messaging mostly because he's off email, he's off social media, et cetera. So we text each other quite a bit. And I just saw him. We, he came out to LA and we hung out and drank some tequila and hung out on the beach a bit and just uh, palled around. So yes, I, I am keeping in touch with my good friend, Joe. Have you got plans to do anything similar? Would you like to go off the grid at some point? Well, sure. If somebody would like to come in and pay an obscene <laughs> amount of money for my company, I would absolutely love to do that. So, you know, if there's anybody out there that's, uh, that would like to do that, I am all ears to take me off the grid for a little while. Otherwise, I'll be earning my keep. Yes. I really, really, really do appreciate you having taken the time. I've absolutely loved the book. I've got to say that. I really do. Oh, you're very kind. And, and I genuinely, I was literally reading it, scribbling down word for word, this is what we're trying to do with our business. It's just grabbing bits and going, right, that, that literally, there's one or two bits in it where I'm like, why haven't we got that as a revenue stream? Like the benefactor part was really interesting. Benefactor is a great way. It's a great way. For all those things that you're thinking about, what you would normally build on spec, finding a benefactor who will benefit from access to that audience is just, a, it's a great way to monetize that uh, that idea. Even if you're a brand, right? Finding a partner or someone who can, you know, help you pay for the cost of creating something interesting for an audience where you're non-competitive. The classic example of this is the, uh, you know, is the customer conference, of course. And, you know, you know, bring your customers together for using your software or your particular solution or whatever it is. And then you bring a partner in that will pay, help you pay for that because they want access to that audience. 
And equally, I think the other thing is it's trying to make sure you move away from a kind of transactional model where you work with advertisers on a one-off. You want that ongoing because that's where everybody benefits. It's treating visitors and prospective customers leads opportunities as if they were customers. And that's why we call them audiences, right? You're, create, you're, you're creating an audience that you can monetize in much better ways. And so you're getting out of the idea of transactions and into the idea of monetizing trust. Thank you very much. I want to thank you. And if there's anything at any point we can help you with, you simply drop me an email and we will make sure we do that. I absolutely will, my friend. Thank you for that. I really, really appreciate it.